You love money. You're really <laughs> sensible. You're not very funny. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I like that. I'm <clears throat> that in. All right, fine. Hi, welcome to What a Way to Go, a podcast about unusual deaths, near misses, and bizarre stories with your hosts, Claire Daly, Elena Gomer, Sarah Austin. We are drinking Prosecco. We are having a nice time. It's still too hot outside, but we're not going to talk we're about the weather. We're still in a heat wave. Someone <laughs> we, save we us. can't handle it. I was so happy about the rain on Sunday. I went to the beach. <laughs> and sat in the rain. Enjoyable. I really like a rainy beach. I'm going to say it. A bleak beach is better than a sunny beach. Mate. The problem I find with sunny beaches is the people. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'd like a sunny beach if I was on my own. But with other people there, I'm really not interested. Mm. The sneak attack storm that we had the other night in London Mate. really made me happy. It just oh, wake me up it. at five in the morning, but I really enjoyed it. I really did. It well, wo- this was a Saturday night one. No, we it had was Friday like night week. when oh. it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was a Monday Friday night. night one, but there was a Tuesday morning one. There we go. That was it. Yeah. Woke me up at 5.30 and I just opened the curtains and watched the lightning and it was very nice it was the so dream. loud mm. I love it I love storms yeah really the cat good. came in but he wasn't he wasn't too freaked out he was just like okay now it's time for me to come in <laughs> just annoyed <laughs> fuck gotta come in ugh inconvenient <laughs> piss off storm yeah it's fine the blood moon I think honestly I I have a genuine theory that full moons send people batshit well, yeah because f- for a kickoff, basically Friday night at work or not well so Friday at work like <laughs> what are you doing we, on Friday night at work like, we had like a work night out and just like everyone <laughs> went completely mental and then I was like oh it's maybe it's because of the blood moon and I've had nights out before with big groups of people where everyone is just really energetic and on form and sort of weird and weirdly wired weirdly we wired. had a weird two episodes where we were weirdly wired I bet without if any we booze. look back yeah, it, it was, was probably, probably a big full moon. moon I've been reading a lot of my horoscopes lately I used to live my life when I got out of uni and started getting a job in the real world I used to live my life by the London light oh horoscopes. God, I remember that yeah. what was the other one London paper they yeah. were really really accurate I, I think I read it every day and decided my next day based on it um, but I've been reading them again lately and some of them are so well you read into it what you want to read into it but some of them are so accurate that I'm just like obsessed with reading them again and again oh and then I read one the other day about like how you have sex as your horoscope sign and it was really wildly inaccurate so <laughs> <laughs> fuck that so your belief is shattered <laughs> yeah exactly I was talking about horoscopes last night like what's what's that any you? cancer that's which is I hate that why why would you do that anyway you, you must be a don't tell me Aquarius no no Sagittarius no fuck me what's the one before Aquarius yeah exactly that one <laughs> wait <laughs> you can't remember it because it's the most fucking boring of Capricorn. the lot. You're yeah. a Capricorn. Yeah. Fucking Capricorn. Yeah. Capricorn. Oh, it is boring. It's really boring. I'm Libra. Um, classic Libra. Flip flop Libra. What's a, is that I'm fucking flip flop? Is that what you're known I'm as? I'm very balanced. What is it? What's the traits? What's the traits of Gemini? Gemini's a flip flop. Gemini's a flip flop. Yeah, my mum's a Gemini. Like, yeah, <laughs> my mate's a Gemini. She's such a classic Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking Gemini. <laughs> Um, what's a Libra meant to be? It's just like um, very chill, mm. which you are, mm. and pragmatic. Yeah, I guess which yeah. I aim to be. Mm. Um, and likes weighing things. Lovely. <laughs> Loves <laughs> weighing. Literally, <laughs> flour, eggs. Whatever you got. Baking it, weighing it. 
I'm really sensitive. Yeah, cap, uh, cancers are... They've got a hard exterior, but a soft inside. Oh. Like crabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Soft shell crab. Um, sensitive and something else. Sensitive and, I don't know. Crabby. Crabby. I'm really walk, fucking crabby. Walk sideways. I walk sideways everywhere I go. Cancer, Not downstairs. Cancer and Capricorn are meant to get on well. Okay. Oh, we do. We, we really do. And together they hate Libras. Yeah. <laughs> really what a podcast really trio this is. Really going up on those fucking Libras. Capricorns are dull because we just want to go to the top of the mountain. <laughs> That's it. And What's it's just like getting to the top of the mountain. But it's just like if you ever read it, it's like you love money. You're really <laughs> sensible. You're not very funny. You just want to get to the top of the mountain. This is your, That's all the of those opposite anti you. This is like not you. Take yeah. all of those things exactly. and flip reverse them. Maybe I wasn't supposed. To, I was meant to be born on the 21st of December, or maybe I wasn't, but before Christmas, mm. and then obviously I was born on the 1st of January. So. Technically, I should have been a Sagittarius, and I'm not sure that's particularly like, better. No, no, Sag- Saggies are good. I feel like you're more of a Sag. Okay, there we yeah. go. Your moon is in Sagittarius, but you're 10 days late, though. That's pretty late. Yeah, yeah. you're really oh, late mama. if you were meant to be born on the 21st. Yeah, my mum had to go through Christmas and everything. Mm-hmm. Just Christ. waiting. Did you get into that club? Come I did on. get into the club. Call back. Some lovely boys. So, for... <laughs> is that is that is that the right phrase? Lovely boys. I got boys. into the club called Lovely Boys <laughs> Club Night. Some horny no. men <laughs> attach themselves onto you and your the sister. Very, the very opposite. So this is the rinse FM night that I wasn't sure about getting into. And you're basically, we got older than twenty nine. Queued up. I was like, put the wrong age. We got there, queued up. Was told that everyone had to be guest list. You couldn't just queue in to get in. That's bullshit. But then some lovely boys were like, "Hey, we've got plus one." Just pretend you're our pals. Oh, nice. They were really, really nice. And then we got in. But I had to like memorise their names and I was really panicking, so I just couldn't take any of it in. <laughs> like I was like, I don't know what it's called. I don't know what they're saying. So I just had to say to my sister, like, you just remember the names because I absolutely can't. And I was really paranoid for no reason. Did you have to hang out with them all night? No, 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 no. It's oh, fine. Okay. We bought them a drink and we were like, thanks. Oh, okay. See ya. See ya later. Goodbye. Wedding ring. But they were like, yeah, no, but also they were like 20, so I don't think, <laughs> oh. I don't think they were that bothered about it. <laughs> Very nice of them. Actually, it was very nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another set that got my other friends in were like, "Hey, not all heroes wear capes." <laughs> and I was like, it's so very true. true, very true. It's very true. Anyway, every so, day yeah, I did it, and it was so hot, but very good. I actually don't know who's going first this week. I it's think it's me. Okay, sweet. Elves, okay. hit us with your rhythm stick, stick. story. Okay. <laughs> on, on the biggest laptop the world has ever seen. I know, seen. yeah. Bloody hell. Anyway. Uh, better than my phone because I wouldn't be able to do that. <sighs> Guys, I'm going there. Oh, no. Uh-oh. S-H-C. Do you know what it is? No. Super Happy Club? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> no. Can you guess what it is? Is it a... Con- is it... Oh, is it poison? Nope. Is Not. it is it a condition you contract? Nope. Nothing to do with Russia. Ooh. Don't think so. No. But okay, fine. possibly. No, go on, hit us. Spontaneous. Oh! Combustion. I've never heard it abbreviated before. <laughs> well, I just that's what it was in the Wikipedia, and I was like, Whoa. oh, I'm yeah, excited. Love it. I am excited. Get on it. Okay. Florida, 1951. 2nd of July, a landlady called Pansy Carpenter knocks on the door of her tenant Mary Reese's room to deliver a telegram. P- 
Pansy Carpenter. Sorry, the number of wicked names this podcast brings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pansy <laughs> Carpenter. Sorry. Perfect. Um, there's no response. Uh, the landlady, Pansy, put her hand to the door and discovered it was unusually hot. She wasn't getting a response. She called the police. Police arrived at the house and they discovered a curious scene. Mary Reza had burned to death in a fire of white hot intensity while the apartment remained, though warm, intact. What remained of Mary Reza was one slippered foot which had no signs of charring. Oh my god! What the fuck? <laughs> so weird. And part of her spine. Her skull also remained, but it was shrunken, and apparently one report described it shrunk to the size of a teacup. What? Part of the chair she sat on was still intact, and plastic household objects close by had softened and lost their shape. What the fuck is happening? But apart from a scorch mark on the rug and an upturned chair and end table, the apartment was unaffected. She was basically ash. That's, before you even go into it, it's all fucking nonsense. Like, people that dis- disbelieve in spontaneous human combustion, if she started a fire, if she was smoking, mm-hmm. if she dropped her cigarette, the whole place would have gone up, surely. Her yeah, whole yeah, yeah. place you don't was have not made like, non-flammable yeah. stuff. Surely, if she had set her own self on fire, everything would have gone up. This has to be... Spontaneous human combustion. I'm sure you're going to go into it. Yeah. But I'm um, staking my fucking foot in the ground right now. It's a thing. Um, well, I will go into it. Okay, a great. little bit. <laughs> that's no, that's it. Uh, okay. okay, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> so obviously authorities were pretty confused by what had happened. It would usually take three to four hours of temperatures reaching 1500 degrees Celsius to cremate a body. So this is lots of information to take in. Hot, <laughs> very, very hot. Fifteen hundred degrees Celsius. Yeah, I had to convert it because the articles I was reading it was all in Fahrenheit. Yeah, it might as well be in foreign Cyrillic. Sounds great. Yeah, sounds great. So that's fucking loads. Is that the temperature they cremate people at? I don't know. Don't work in a funeral home. I've no idea. My um, sister Tebtner. Really? <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. What a job. I, yeah, I think it's quite traumatic for her. She I'm not surprised. had a dream that she was cremating me and my mum and oh my, my brother when she weren't there. Yeah, not not ideal. Not so ideal. Not recommended as a tempings. No. Unless location. you like that. I think you have to be quite an upbeat person to <laughs> work in a crem- cremator- crematorium? crematorium. Crematorium, yeah. I just can't believe anything is that hot. And then also four hours. Why is it taking that fucking long? It's a big old body. Right, I mean, that's what I read. Maybe no, no, I'm, no, I'm not calling bullshit. I'm just processing. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not counter you. arguing your stats. I've not done the experiments. <laughs> Someone burnt me. Burnt me right now. Get <laughs> your fucking thermometer. Start the timer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the police chief sent a box of evidence to the then FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover. Sure. Yep, Who the, knew? The big guy. Yep. Um... The conclusion reached... Wait, sorry. Straight to the FBI director. <laughs> what? I mean, it was, yeah, unusual. 
Unusual. <laughs> a woman, basically what has happened is a woman has died in unusual circumstances and it's gone straight to the direct, straight to J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> what the fuck? I think maybe I've skipped over a bit of like, presumably there was some localised investigation into this, yeah, but well, so we would We better find yeah. J. Edgar Hoover because... Women are weird, we've no <laughs> idea how they've died. Send it to the FBI. Why is she on her period? <laughs> hey, maybe there's something in that. Menstrual blood makes you go up quicker. <laughs> hey, let's cut that out. That's okay. fine. <laughs> Not verified. <laughs> Can we keep your laughing into a Prosecco glass? <laughs> anyway. Oh dear, sorry. So they found J. Edgar Hoover immediately. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. They walked into the room and they went, get Hoover on the phone. Get Hoover on the fucking phone. A woman's... Shrunk her skull. <laughs> Sorry. So, the conclusion reached by the FBI, after I think some investigation, <laughs> not straight away, was that Mary Reese's death was the result of the Wick effect, mm. which I will talk a bit more about in a little bit. Um, she'd been taking sleeping tablets and they thought she must have fallen asleep while smoking a cigarette and set herself alight. Which is the often cause of house fires. Yes. Yeah. Singular house fires. And the wick effect would explain why it was just her and not really anything else that burnt. And I'll talk about it in a second. Um, so, well, essentially... So the FBI wrote a report and they essentially concluded once the body starts to burn... When the body starts to burn, yeah. Once the body starts to burn, there is enough fat and other inflammable substances to permit varying amounts of destruction to take place. Sometimes this destruction by burning will proceed to a degree which results in almost complete combustion of the body. So that's what they concluded, was that it was a cigarette that caused her to so, melt. So like, yeah. Melt. Um, you melt. Physical anthropologist Wilton M. Krogman, who had spent... <laughs> Krogman? That's a great last name. I'd fucking take that last name. Krogman. Sarah Krogman. I think we might need to compile somewhere, maybe on Twitter, just like all of, all of the names. Sarah's a dying. Sarah's absolutely dying. <laughs> Krogman, I've never heard of that, <laughs> ever. M. Krogman. So, Krogman, who'd spent... <laughs> I just coughed. I'm sorry, it was a cough. <coughs> Start again. Krogman, go! Anyway, Krogman. Krogman had spent some time examining the remains of similar incidents, uh, and he also investigated the case. He strongly disputed the FBI's conclusion, drawing on the fact that there was no more damage done to the apartment. Damn right. Um, there was that's kind of they didn't really draw a conclusion to what happened to her. So some people theorise spontaneous combustion just because that's a thing that happens, and there is, as I will go on to, somebody who's got a hypothesis about how that happens just from no ignition, external ignition around the body, and obviously the FBI believed it to be the result of the wick effect. Mm. Which I think possibly is what was... I, I don't... I think they just concluded that they don't really know what happened to her. Um, Sorry, was the wick... Maybe you don't know, but was the wick effect a thing that was already decided pre this story? 
Was it already a common thing? Um, so this was in 1951. I think so. I think... It must have been evident in other, like, stories, not necessarily yeah, wonder, combustion, yeah. but other well, things. I think mostly combustion, though. Oh, it's really? like a, it's a It's a theory that could potentially happen, which would result in the effects of what seems to be completely spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. So, just to talk a little bit about spontaneous combustion, the first known account was in 1663 when the Danish anatomist Thomas Bartholin described a woman in Paris who went up in ashes and smoke while she slept, but her straw mattress was untouched. So that was the oh. first. It's just nonsense. There's no way straw wouldn't have set fire if she was on fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so mysterious. Mm. Um, a man called Larry E. Arnold, he's quite a specialist in spontaneous combustion, and he wrote a book in 1995 called A Blaze. Um, and he states that there have been 200 reports of it over 300 years, probably more now because this was written like 20 odd years ago. And when I was looking at it, there was actually a case that happened like last year in, in Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Tottenham. Oh, there was something in Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, a guy and was just walking down the road and burst into burst flames. flames. Yeah. yeah. And there was a guy in London that only combusted himself in his flat as well recently in London somewhere. So weird. And there was something in 2010 that was in Ireland that I was going to write down, but I... Just stuck with the one story. So Larry E. Arnold's hypothesis about spontaneous human combustion is he thinks that it's a result of a new subatomic particle called pyroton, which interacts with cells to cause a mini explosion. But there's no scientific evidence that that can corroborate the existence of the particle. So I don't really know whether he's just gone, well, that's probably a thing. Hmm. And obviously if there's no, if the scientist can't find it... Possibly that's not quite the answer. Um, in 1984, a science investigator called Joe Nickel and a forensic analyst called John Fisher completed a two-year research project into spontaneous human combustion. They looked into cases from the 18th, 19th and 20th century and they concluded that in all cases the victims were in close proximity to plausible sources of ignition, whether that's a candle, a lamp, a fire, a cigarette, something like that. There was also quite a strong pattern of the victim being intoxicated, so either by alcohol or possibly something else that might cause a chemical reaction within the body. Mm. Um, And also, if they're intoxicated, that would possibly lead to them to be careless around dangerous things like open fires, for example. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the reason that in a lot of these cases there's little damage to nearby objects and furniture is because the fire burns upwards rather than laterally. And that would support the theory of the wick effect. And so the wick effect is essentially the hypothesis that clothing catches fire and then it catches the skin and it splits the skin or it catches the fat, essentially, and the tissue within the body. And then once it gets down to human fat, the fat essentially acts like a wick and keeps the fire going, Mm. but it doesn't spread because it's burning itself out. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So, like... Imagine a flame on a candle compared to... Where am I going with this? Well, a flame on a candle is, is centralised, so it the the wax around it wax. doesn't set alight. Yeah, it yes. heats yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Whereas yeah. if you've got wood on a fire, all yeah. of the wood sets fire. Yeah, 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 so it's kind because of maintaining it in one place. Because the wax isn't flammable. Ooh. 
Yeah, I did. Well, I, when you started talking about the wick effect, I didn't really understand it, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, essentially, it's saying that the fat acts like the wick. It keeps the fire going, and it would also explain why the extremities, such as the ankles, sometimes the hands, some well, teeth, but I think that's the thing anyway, sometimes the brain or whatever, stay intact because there's less fat, so they, it can't... There's nothing to maintain it. Yeah. God, that's... I've never heard this theory, and that like actually seems to Plausible. work, right? Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, I just think that if someone is on fire, I understand if it's something that's kind of mobilising it, pushing it upwards, but there will be other things that are flammable around it, whereas if you think about the wick in a candle, wax isn't particularly flammable, mm. so you would understand why it was just the wick that kept on burning, Whereas if it was a person that was on fire and there was straw underneath them or a sofa that had flammable material on it, you would assume that would just set fire as a byproduct. Mm. It's kind of mad to think that other things wouldn't set on fire. Unless it was just so quick that you didn't, you couldn't. And It must be quick because presumably even if it wasn't that and it was some weird reaction that can happen sometimes... You would, you would think that, that still it would create a fire. Surely, wouldn't you? Don't just literally. Well, maybe you do just explode. But also, I did read that somebody said, it's two hundred cases. Like, surely, if it was a chemical reaction within the body, it would be happening a lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think about, um, and this is obviously like a really horrible turn to take. But if you think about the Buddhists, in that set themselves on fire in history, that have set themselves on fire. Obviously, that's a controlled fire. But then they're on. They're on concrete, so there wouldn't be anything around them to necessarily catch fire anyway. Yeah. But that is that, isn't it? It's that they're a, they're a consumed flame because it's, it's it, that's the only thing around them that will be caught on fire. Mm. But that doesn't sound like it's the same scenario because they, they burn completely when that happens. The the monks, or mm. well, it's well just whoever monks, does it, it yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's been part of protest as well as religion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy in the Viet, uh, Vietnamese War—that was a protest, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating though because I just don't—I just don't think that there is a real like this is exactly what happened. I don't think there it. is. I think yeah, there's a lot of yeah. hypotheses about what m- may be happening, and obviously some seem more likely than others. Like this particle or whatever. I mean, he's written a whole book about it. I didn't read it, so I don't know. But <laughs> you haven't sloppy, read the whole book in a whole research, week? Else. Christ. But if scientists can't say, well, we found this uh, atom or whatever, particle... But it's like your your story from last week where it was a singular protein that did what it did. Like yeah. You can't always prove it because you're not always going to be able to recreate those instances where it would mutate, so you don't really know. And you can't just set fired people as part of a controlled group because that would be murder. Yeah, um, be some ethical... I but there was, so. I guess, I mean, maybe. If you're going to be a stickler about it. Um, but there was that guy that was walking down the street. Yeah, that, recently. Yeah. In to- I don't know where well, I got Leicester from, but yeah. Yeah, in, in the last 10 years. No, like, Literally like this last year. year. It was last year, I think. Just was walking down the road and set, set like, fire burst into flames. Smoking a fag, apparently. Mm, there was a well, fag there. Yeah, that's kind but of But also, catalyst. like, I don't know how quickly that happened. Like, was it instant or did he burn for a bit? Because it seems like a lot of the time people are found as opposed to somebody seeing it happen. Yeah, well, that's a big difference, isn't it? So we don't really know how quickly it happened. 
But it's weird as fuck. It really Very is. Weird. No, I mean, I think it's obviously quite telling that there's obviously a catalyst around. Like, it seems mm. to be that someone's been near something. Yeah, would... there's kind of like a... Um, what's the word? Like a kind of system of events. What's, that's, not, that's not the right phrase. What's the word? I'm not sure. I know what you mean, but I can't think what the word is. There's like a... There's a common factor. Yeah, a common there's a, denominator. There's a common denominator in all of these stories. Mm. But I don't think it's just their bodies acted as a wick. Because I think... Especially if you've got flammable materials around you, there would be things that would happen that would be different around that. Straw. How weird would it be if now one of us just <laughs> combusted? None of us are smoking. Maybe that's the common denominator. Stop smoking. I've got some, I've got some tabs in my bag. No, mate. Get, get rid of them. At least we'd know. Yeah. Like, we would know. Because if you just, like, like set, on, set fire, on fire, I'd just leave. I'd just walk right out. I'd, get a, I'd probably get a bucket. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Can you just... Nope, see you later. That's it. Wick, wick effect. She's gone. She's absolutely gone. Just two of us on the podcast now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Mad. That was nice. good. I've been waiting Pretty. for someone to do that, actually. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, we've, I, I think today. we referenced it when you did Bermuda Triangle Squares because it was like such a, a 90s um, <laughs> phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, I remember so clearly having um, a book about strange happenings fuck knows what it was called but it was about like you know alien abductions bigfoot and i can pi- i can still picture the spontaneous human combustion photo in it is it the one of the is it the chair with the yeah really charred chair with like the slippers at the bottom and like yeah. that's probably the woman isn't i think it? that i mean yeah. it was a reconstruction uh, okay but, but yeah, like, yeah. Well, they set fire to a woman for the reconstruction <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well, is that really out of order fuck guys come on let's get the perfect photo come on <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Gotta get the likes for the gram. I mean, it's not like I spend my time worrying about it, but it's definitely in my periphery of things that you should be aware of. <laughs> you could set fire to yourself as a human moment. wick. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Walking down the road in Tottenham. Well, every day. Every day's a death trap, guys. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what are you up to this week? Okay. Look, oh, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about weather. Uh-huh. This week. Fine, fair enough. We've been talking a lot about weather. Lots of stuff about weather I've looked into this week because we've had a very long heat wave, because we had weird storms that I wasn't prepared for, and then because also we had, well, in the instance of the birth of this podcast, we had the Beast from the East, which mm. I didn't leave the flat for two days because I was unemployed and didn't need to. Didn't need to. But Don't worry also, about it. but yeah, like that's been in the lifetime of this podcast, which is not that long considering we're on episode 18 right now. So, weather's been weird, man, yeah, in the man. last. Weather, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell me about it. <laughs> but I chose this story because it's a weird way someone has died, but it's also a weird way that we'll probably all die in future. Oh. God. Sorry, oh God, lads. Did they get, like, literally burnt by the sun? No. I mean, we all get burnt by the sun, don't we? That's not, like, a weird thing. But get you your know, SPF like... 50 on. Did they spontaneously combust because they were under a very hot sun? Indirect sunlight. No. No. But add it to the list of things that you worry about every night when you go to sleep. Fine. Big checklist. Whatever. Big tick list. Big checklist. I said both. Which was big tick list. Tick list. We can have a tick list. It's fine. Uh, That's no. our girl crush, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's all to do with climate change. 
that old chestnut. Uh, so, yeah, again, like the Bermuda Triangle, we used to call it global warming. Everyone used to be obsessed about the ozone layer and deodorant. And mm. now we fixed that hole in the ozone layer, but climate change is still around. Mm-hmm. Global warming. But then everybody got too cold and they decided it couldn't be called global warming, so it's called climate change. Um, but it is, <laughs> I'm not going to go into it, but it's very real. And it's actually very scary. Daily nods because she knows. She's a scientist. Um, and we're most definitely fucked. We might not be <laughs> fucked, but our children or our children's children are fucked. We're already too far gone. Like... I've got a book that I've not finished reading because it's too serious for me to finish. Tipping point. But it's by Naomi Klein and it's called This Changes Everything and it was written like five years ago and it's about climate change and it was then, five years ago, it was like in two years' time, we're already too far gone. We're five years on from that. We're already too far gone. We also have this big problem with America and he who shall not be named coming out of the Paris Climate Agreement where people were working towards the advancement of like kind of decisions made in the climate change arena. We're fucked. We're absolutely fucked. We can stop drinking out of plastic straws all we want, but there's other things that are really affecting that. Yeah, I mean, presumably that's like putting a plaster on a on a war wound Broken or whatever. Ankle, yeah. yeah, on a fucking yeah sewage tank. Bursting. On your on spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. <laughs> Put a fucking plaster on that. There we go. Calm it down. <laughs> Just calm down. It's absolutely fine. You're going to be fine. Just give it five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Walk it off, mate. Walk it off. <laughs> Just walk it off. But yeah, it's exactly that. So um, my story is around dormant bacteria and viruses that have been trapped in ice. In the permafrost. In the permafrost. Yes! This is not your story, no. right? No, 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 no. But permafrost right up your is alley. like fucking hell. Just your so favourite tale. <laughs> permafrost. This is what Daily Reads for fun. None of Nothing about the Daily Mail side by her shame. Daily Reads <laughs> no, about literally. permafrost. You, you joke, but that is true. <laughs> That's literally true. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's about dormant bacteria and viruses that have been trapped in ice and permafrost for fucking centuries. Oh, no, they're all coming back at us because it's melting. Yeah, mate. Zombie viruses coming back from the dead. (laughs) Oh, Christ, I thought we were just going to get burned alive. (laughs) Jesus. No, add it to the list. So, climate change is melting permafrost soils that have been frozen for thousands of years. As the soils melt, they are releasing ancient viruses and bacteria that have laid dormant for years, but are springing back to life. As Earth continues to warm, more permafrost will melt. Under normal circumstances, i.e. not what we're already going through, we're already in a summer of weird, above-normal temperatures, superficial permafrost layers about 50 centimetres deep melt every summer. But now global warming slash climate change is gradually exposing even older permafrost layers frozen permafrost soil is the perfect place for bacteria to remain alive for very long periods of time perhaps as long as a million years that means melting ice across the globe could potentially open up a clusterfuck of problems for us that's my own words I've not taken that from anyone else <laughs> that was even not quoted that from a science no. journal clusterfuck is me right. clusterfuck is me so this Can we, sorry, that's the episode title, Clusterfuckers Me. <laughs> Clusterfuckers Me. It's but, got to be. 
Um, so I know what you're thinking. Daly's probably thinking this, but it doesn't matter because that's why we've got science. We've got doctors. They know how to interact with these problems. No, these... no, no. I know science and I know we're fucked. <laughs> fine. Absolutely fine. I was thinking that. Oh, okay, fine. No, I was. Sorry. No, I wasn't. And it's true, throughout history, we have existed side by side with bacteria and viruses. From the bubonic plague to smallpox, we have evolved as humans to resist them. After they killed quite a few people. Yeah, like yeah. most people, yeah. basically. Collateral damage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this means, in response, the viruses have developed new ways of infecting us. They've got guns in their mouths. <laughs> 3D printed guns throw, in their mouths. Throw back to episode two, I think. Peng Fan, we were talking about snakes with guns in oh, their yeah, mouths. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, My horror. But uh, but yeah, but so pen- penicillin, uh, invented in 1928 by Alexander Fleming, um, was the first antibiotic that could solve a lot of these problems. We've had it for almost a century, but that means that in response, some bacteria have responded by evolving antibiotic resistance. Antibiotic resistance is already a growing problem because we're so reliant on antibiotics Mm. and more and more people are taking them for minor problems. It's kind of a a systematic societal problem that we're going to the doctors where, I mean, in the UK, we're rinsing our NHS for things that we could just get on with in our own time. But this means that the, the diseases that we're treating are evolving very, very minor stuff like flu or a common cold versus bigger things obviously there's a lot of bigger things that we've counteracted with science and medicine so far um but that's already a problem on a base layer of society but with the thawing of permafrost we could potentially be faced with diseases that haven't been around for centuries which means we don't have anything to fight them with Jean-Michel Clavery who I talk about a lot he is an environmental virologist says viruses from the very first humans to populate the Arctic could start emerging with this permafrost. We could even see viruses from long extinct hominin species like the Neanderthals and Denovisans, both of which settled in Siberia and were riddled with various viral diseases. And what wiped them out? (laughs) (laughs) Remains of Neanderthals from 30 to 40,000 years ago have been spotted in Russia, Human populations have lived there, sickened and died for thousands of years. So that's scary. But I'll give you an actual example of this actually happening. So in August 2016, in a remote corner of the Siberian tundra called the Yamal Peninsula in the Arctic Circle, a 12-year-old boy died and at least 20 people hospitalised after being infected by anthrax. Oh, so, our old friend anthrax. Our old friend anthrax, <laughs> which I think you mentioned in one of your stories, didn't you? Someone, um, well, was, um, everyone but me mentioned it. Anthrax. Well, I had the shaving brush infected. Oh, right. oh sorry, you. that was you. Yeah, yeah. That was you. Yeah. So we've had anthrax, and it's been around for a little while, but it's come up a couple of times. But the making theory... a strong comeback, <laughs> making a strong comeback. But the theory is that over seventy-five years ago, a reindeer infected with anthrax died, and its frozen carcass became trapped under a layer of frozen soil, aka permafrost, and it stayed there until a heat wave in the summer of twenty sixteen. When the permafrost thawed, it got so hot that that permafrost, which would have probably stayed frosted for a very long time after that, um, thawed. This exposed reindeer corpse 
released infectious anthrax into nearby water and soil and then into the food supply of the local area. More than 2,000 reindeer grazing nearby became infected, which then led to the small number of human cases of infection. And in the 20th century alone, more than a million reindeer died from anthrax. It, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've not, I've not got personal experience of this, but it's not easy to dig deep graves. So most of these carcasses are buried close to the surface, scattered among the 7,000 burial grounds in northern Russia. So when the frost reaches on top of it, it's not that far for it to get deep into the ground. It's very easily then spread in the ground as part of nature, when the frost thaws. It's like fucking Game of Thrones. It really is. Burn your dead. Because of this and other instances of diseases reoccurring that people weren't necessarily expecting, inevitably scientists and researchers have tried to find out more about the viruses and their resistance to modern medicine. So in 2014, there was a study led by the Clavery Um, And he and his team revived two viruses that had been trapped in the Siberian permafrost for 30,000 years. Known as the, I'm going to fucking butcher this, known as the pythovirus Sibiricum and the molivirus Sibiricum. They are both giant viruses because unlike most viruses, they are so big they cannot be seen under a regular microscope. Oh my god! They were discovered a hundred foot underground in a coastal tundra. Yeah, exactly. Your face, shrouded by your hands, is exactly right. Once they were revived, the viruses quickly became infectious. Fortunately Mm. for us, and maybe the reason why they picked these in particular, these particular viruses only infect single cell amoebas, which we're not. Still, the studies. (laughs) Obviously, still the study Speak suggests <laughs> the study suggests that other the viruses, which really could infect humans, might be revived in exactly the same way. Mm. In two thousand and five, NASA, a, well, a shitload of NASA scientists, successfully revived bacteria that had been encased in a frozen pond in Alaska for the last thirty two thousand years. The microbes, again, I'm going to butcher this, called the Carnobacterium plesocensium, had been frozen since the Pleistocene. Pleistocene. Pleistocene, thanks, Daly. Period, when woolly mammoths still roamed the earth. Once the ice melted, they became swimming around seemingly unaffected. Once they were revived, the viruses quickly became infectious. But again, they weren't harmful to humans so it was more of a study than it was actual pandemic um two years later scientists managed to revive an eight million year old bacterium that had been lying dormant in ice beneath the surface of a glacier in the beacon and mullins valley of antarctica in the same study bacteria were also revived from ice that was over a hundred thousand years old this is the antarctic land grab that we were talking about a few episodes ago yeah with old what's his face who died um, however, not all bacteria can come to back to life after being frozen in permafrost. Anthrax bacteria does because they form spores, which are extremely hardy and can survive being frozen for longer than a century. So basically the point is that it really depends on the actual infection and the actual virus, but some have developed so much that they can survive thousands, if not millions of years of being frozen. Um yeah. Other bacteria can form spores and can survive in permafrost. <clears throat> that includes tetanus, 
and Clostridium botulum, the pathogen responsible for botulism, which is a rare illness that can cause paralysis and even prove fatal. Some fungi can also survive in permafrost for a very long time. Even older bacteria has been found in the Lengchuli Cave in New Mexico, which is a thousand foot underground. These microbes have not seen the surface for over four million years. The cave never sees sunlight and it is so isolated that it takes about 10,000 years for water from the surface to get into the cave. So fuck fucking cave diving, which takes 10 (laughs) hours. This takes 10,000 years. The story is really looping back in lots of... A lot, but it's, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm actually, like, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, stroking my knees. Because I'm so... (laughs) This makes me so anxious. Despite this, the bacteria have somehow become resistant to 18 types of antibiotics, including drugs considered to be a last resort for fighting infections. In a study published in December 2016, researchers found that the bacteria known as Payenbacillus, that's butchered, sorry, was resistant to 70% of antibiotics and was able to totally inactivate many of them. As the bacteria have remained completely isolated in the cave for 4 million years or so, they have not come into contact with people or the antibiotic drugs used to treat human infections. The scientists involved believe that the bacteria, which does not harm humans, which is obviously a good thing because, you know, we haven't yet found something that is going to kill us all, is one of many that have naturally evolved resistance to antibiotics. This suggests that antibiotic resistance has been around for millions or even billions of years. Obviously, such ancient antibiotic resistance cannot have evolved in the clinic as a result of antibiotic use. Mm. The, the reason for this is that many types of fungi and even other bacteria naturally produce antibiotics to gain a competitive advantage over other microbes. This is how Fleming, Alexander Fleming, first discovered penicillin. Bacteria in a Petri dish died after one became contaminated with an antibiotic excreting mould. In caves where there is little food, organisms must be ruthless if they are to survive. Bacteria like Payenbacillus, which I just mentioned, may have evolved antibiotic resistance in order to avoid being killed by rival organisms. So it's not only us as humans that are fucking up the natural yeah, order na- of things. Nature it's it nature itself, doing yeah. it itself. So if there's things that are coming up through the permafrost or because of global warming and climate change, there are things that have naturally evolved to fight off the things that were affecting them in the first place versus things that we've created antibiotics around that are going to fuck things up because they have created an anti-attack to them anyway. But there's all kinds of... I mean, I know that you know about this and are worried about this anyway, but, like, how how much should we be concerned? How much should this really worry us? Don't know. The emoji of, like, that person with that funny face that you put in a recent description. The shrug shrug emoji. The shrug emoji. Don't fucking know. It's me. No one knows what's going to happen. This summer, in general, is unprecedented levels of heat and unprecedented levels of longevity of heat. So that that in itself should show you that we don't really know what's going to happen. But the likelihood of this becoming more of a common problem as climate change continues to evolve is very high. 
Um, so Clavery has said, the possibility that we could catch a virus from a long extinct Neanderthal suggests that the idea that a virus could be eradicated from the planet is absolutely wrong and gives us a false sense of security. This is why stocks of vaccine for most illnesses should be kept just in case. So the point is, we absolutely don't know what's going to happen and it could be a very real threat tomorrow or it could be a very real threat in 100 years. We have absolutely no idea, but because we're already experiencing unprecedented levels of heat, who the fuck knows? And actually, since I've read this, I've actually worried about it a lot more than I thought they would. I mean, there's been other examples of things. So there was a, an instance in Siberia where smallpox... Yeah, smallpox came back. Yeah, which, yeah. which came back. And obviously we've had... There is, I mean, even things like um, malaria, it's much less... I know we had that big spike a couple of years ago, but it's much less evolved than it was. But smallpox, especially if it's an old version of smallpox, there's there's centuries of people that have been wiped out in history mm. that have been buried by i don't know fucking volcanic eruptions or the ice age or whatever there's there's versions of us as humans that have been wiped out before not just dinosaurs who fucking knows what those were how those people died and how they might then potentially come back to the surface because everything's fucking melting Anyway, there's also the problem of, add it to the list, add it to the fucking list, (laughs) global warming slash climate change does not have to directly melt permafrost to pose a threat. Because the Arctic sea ice is melting at an extraordinary rate, the north shore of Siberia has become more easily accessible by sea, which means that industrial exploitation, including mining for gold and minerals and oil... Um, drilling for oil and natural gas is becoming profitable so more people are interested in it so Clavery who I've obviously mentioned quite a lot has said at the moment these regions are deserted and the deep permafrost layers are left alone but these ancient layers could be exposed by the digging involved in mining and drilling operations if the viable virons which are the complete ineffective form of a virus outside of a host cell which I've obviously googled they're still there, this could spell disaster. So not only are we fucking things up by just the earth melting at an incredible rate and us being dicks, the fact that we're land grabbing and going after oil and going after things that we can then sell because we're fucking egotistical fucks is advancing that on a really, 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 really quick level too. So we're fucked. Can I not say no? Just don't touch it. Don't no, because everybody's out for themselves. Like this is kind of the whole point. It's like you listen to this and you read this and you're like, fuck. And also the book that I was I was reading a year ago and I haven't finished, um, which is This Changed Everything by Naomi Klein. It's like you read it, you understand it. And we do, as consumers, as humans, we we stop stop taking plastic, we recycle as much as possible. But it's not just us, and it's not just us driving a car or us getting on a plane. It's wider than that. It's bigger than that. It's industrial. It's coal. It's oil. Mm. It's everything. We are lucky in a sense that the government kind of understand that in the UK. You go from Obama in the US who... Did he sign the Paris yeah, Agreement? Yeah. Oh, no, not literally him. It was signed before him. It, was it might have even been Bush. That it, well, it probably it was honest, Bush. Yeah. And like, I mean, I know everyone's a bit anti-Bush in general, and then now Bush because he's because not. he did nine eleven because he did nine eleven with a book upside down. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. But um, obviously, Bush is a Republican. Fine, but Trump has gone back on that. There's so many climate change deniers still out there like there was even a tweet today it was really funny because I was obviously researching this the last couple of days there was a tweet today which was like a kind of eminent scientist where he was like I was asked to come on a program to kind of debate a guy that was a climate change 
um person he was like, i'm not fucking doing it anymore like we should not mm, be allowing like these people yeah, yeah we yeah. should not be allowing these people airtime it's not a conversation for debate it's, it's a fact. fact it's a yeah. fucking fact climate change is happening call it global warming call it climate change whatever you want it's fucking happening well if we're going down we're all going down together aren't we yeah but it's probably this is the point it's probably not us we're probably fine but it should be us that make the difference and yeah. we're not we're mm. just not doing enough and like on an individual level yes we're doing more we're recycling more veganism is obviously a very big deal from like a um gases point of view but it's not that it's about industrial consumption yeah but like veganism is a big thing if everyone switched that would oh but they're not like they're not on a on a, a, a there's such a disconnect so first of all can i just say Fucking great story. Couldn't be more my jam. I've got so many big thoughts with a capital T. Um, Enjoyable. There's such a disconnect between the big picture stuff that we know is happening and day-to-day policy, which is what politicians care about. Yeah. And that is the fundamental problem. I'm not going to go on. I could literally, I could talk about this for but fucking hours and hours. But this is my fundamental problem with politics in general and ha- half why I want to be fucking pm in future is that politics is very much at the moment in my mind definitely in the uk but a lot of the us is very much focused on the person and what they're saying right then and there and yeah. none of it is yeah, fucking course, yeah. strategic yeah, yeah, yeah. none no, of no. it is bigger picture no. longevity you don't, get, you don't get voted get, yet yeah what's yeah. gonna get you to vote for me <laughs> exactly and then, and then that's that's all parties like i know what party i support let's not mention it again but that's all parties maybe not greens maybe greens are fine but that's what politics is around <clears> at the moment and i feel like strategy in general i.e like what's happening right now versus what's going to happen in 50 years is far more fucking important but the problem that we have is that everyone's obsessed with the now and the then and what's happening to them. I just got 10,000 steps by moving my arms around so much. <laughs> Fuck Fitbit, mate. Um, but yeah, like that's kind of the problem is like there's a lot of people that do know about it, but because the politicians that we have, Boris fucking Johnson, are so fucking obsessed with the themselves. now and the then and themselves and their, kind of, their, their kind of awareness and their fame, it's fucking mad. That's why it feels like what you were saying about humans being extinct four times before or whatever and why have we not learned for it I don't think that we're physically capable because it feels like the people that can make the difference no one's learning from themselves because I think everyone's fundamentally just fucking selfish but we have this is kind of the point is that we have the tools on the table it's human nature but we have the tools on the table with the the penicillin with the antibiotics with things like that like we have the kind of the knowledge basis but that's not enough because it's very dependent on the fucking mouthpieces that run the countries, US and UK, to make that mandatory. And they're not doing it. And this is going to become more of a fucking problem. And fine, like, maybe the UK's not affected by it. And maybe we're not going to get fucking smallpox. And maybe we're not going to get an anthrax poisoning debate but other countries are and that's still mm. fucking important and that's yeah. kind of the problem that i have is like fine you yourself in your fucking lib- liberal london bubble might not be affected by it but other people are mm. and that should be a fucking problem add it to the list of everything else that's going wrong at the moment fine but it's still a fucking problem and i think that have a lovely time i'm gonna go get a tan tomorrow at a spa with my mum yeah. great but this is not normal it should not be celebrated as such like we should be doing more about this i'm not a fucking scientist so i don't know what to do but it does feel a little bit sometimes like maybe everyone's kind of making themselves feel a little bit better because it's like well i'm doing my recycling i'm putting down on this that and the other but like and like yeah cool do that but essentially 
unless collectively we can all get on the same page about it and that's not happening because yeah, the people that are making the decisions but this is the point it would have to be mandated top down and it would level. have to be leaders to the proletariat this is what you have to fucking do rationing not literally but maybe that will happen Brexit anyway but rationing <laughs> but that won't be for the right fucking reason but it is it's like it's all so fucking relevant like it's unbelievable how this has come full circle and there's things that are going to happen because of stupid bullshit referendums but things that are going to happen top down but it's never going to fucking happen when you've got people in charge like Trump who categorically deny climate change and it's fucking mad and yeah fine I might never have children so give a fuck what fucking happens to my future generations but I care about other people's future generations and that's what is quite scary like we'll probably eradicate humans because of stuff like this yeah (laughs) daddy's got nothing to say no I have I'm just gonna say like as and when the permafrost does start melting it's gonna happen quick by the way it will happen in like a year but it's also the oceans, go. isn't it? Yeah. It's the oceans rising because all the ice caps yeah. are melting. When it when it goes, it's gonna go fast. I'm just saying. So it might just be us. FYI. It might be our generation. <laughs> fuck, absolute fuck. It but you know, we're having you... a good time. I've got thoughts about, <laughs> <laughs> I've got about pandemics too. Go on. There's too many people in the planet. On the planet. So, the reason that I found this is, and I've mentioned this several times on the podcast, I was on Reddit and I found a really good thread and someone did say, and it was kind of like tongue in cheek, but he was like, natural selection, like, we're overpopulated We need another plague, it's a line from the office. But that's kind of happened, like, no, I'm not saying that's right and that's absolutely, that's not what I'm saying, but like, that is what's happened previously, like, things happen the strongest survive, the fittest of the bunch survive, this might be the natural order of things. I don't really believe in that because I don't really believe in a higher power. But but it's so every, every, that's what's happened previously. Everything strives for um, equilibrium, right? This is why weather happens. It's because the earth is trying to balance itself out and be the same temperature all over. That's why wind happens because the natural system is that it wants everything to be balanced out. We've already got 8 billion people on the planet. Mm. I remember growing. I remember doing fucking GCSE geography 8 million years ago, whenever that was, 2003, whenever, and there was just about 6 billion people. Yeah. That's not that long to get another fucking 2 billion. And those two, those 8 billion people make more people, make more people, make more people. It is unsustainable. The rate of population growth of the, yeah. of the world is unsustainable. So, you know, sometimes... Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we need the permafrost to unleash. Bring on the permafrost! <laughs> a, holy, a holy war, I guess. Don't quote me on this. I'm happy for me to be taken out. Like, if that's what it yeah, takes, that's fine. Yeah, if I've got no to go, problem. I've got to go. Yeah. Fine. I mean, this is day five of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Good luck. Just me editing it. I'm really sorry, everyone. Four hours later. Go. Daily, go. Guys. Mm. Roll up, roll up. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about the Flying Willenders. What? What? (laughs) Who are they? What are they up to? The Flying Willenders are a family of stunt people. Lovely. I was going to say stunt men, and that's... Sexist. Sexist AF. Performing high-wire acts. Okay. They're a a long-standing traditional family of effectively... Acrobats and stump them. Okay. This is not where I was expecting this evening to go. <laughs> the Flying Willenders. So it all starts back in 1905, long, long time ago, 
with Carl Willender, who was born in Magdeburg, Germany. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I've literally, I don't know how to pronounce it. You're not German. German. Okay. Magdeburg. So, actually, maybe even just to set the scene, I was thinking of themes that I might want to talk about on this week's episode. And I was talking to my beloved friend Kirsty at work and we were talking about different types of ways to die or people that might have died. And I was like, oh, I was kind of thinking about clowns. And Kirsty was like, what about circus deaths? Mm. Hence why I'm here. So, um, Carl Wallender, born in 1905 to an old circus family. He began performing at the age of six. So oh. I feel like this is a real, there's a kind of like thread of carnival folk and circus folk that is just this really intriguing and totally separated from mainstream society other world. Mm. Like I find um, there's an old, there's a language or a, like a dialect called Polari, which is basically what circus folk and carnival folk use. Okay. I didn't know that. Super fascinating. It's kind of like crosses between really, really cockney and like a little bit. Eastern European languages. So, you know the word to zhuzh your hair up? Yeah. Zhuzh is a Polari word. I didn't know that. I thought yeah, it was yeah. Welsh. No, no, no. I genuinely like, thought it was so Welsh. Polari is, no, zhuzh. Because my grandma they used to love zhuzhing in Welsh. Yeah, it's like... They do. It's, they really do. Really, really interesting. Anyway, so I was like, the whole kind of circus folk and carnival folk thing is fascinating anyway. So, um, Carl Wallender started performing at the age of six. While still in his teens, he answered, I like this, he answered an ad for a, quote, Hand balancer with courage. Aww. I don't know what quite what that means, but hand balancer with but courage, was, I guess. he was Because if you're an acrobat and you're a hand balancer, that must mean that you can hold people on your hands. Mm. Or lions. Yeah. Or lions, sure. Or elephants. Well, mate, if you Google circus deaths, a lot of them are lion maulings. I'm not surprised. Good! Don't <laughs> fucking yeah, put yeah, lions exactly. in circuses! Yeah, yeah, I thought it was too depressing. I didn't want to, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to raise it. So anyway, uh, he got the job in his teens. His employer, Louis Weitzman, taught him the trade. In 1922, Carl put together his own act with his brother Herman, Joseph Geiger, and a teenage girl called Helen Christ, who eventually became Carl's wife. So this was the start of the Great Wallenders. So they were initially called the Great Wallenders, eventually becoming the Flying Wallenders because... The press decided to call them the Flying Wallenders because they were doing one of these high wire things. I feel like they're a family that like call each other Team Wallander. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. no one's really friends with them. <laughs> yeah. Think they're better than everyone no one else. Fuck Wallenders. Yeah, <laughs> they all they have like friendly competitions in their garden against each other, and they wear Team Wallander sweatshirts and they go out together. So um, they have the new act. The act toured Europe for several years, performing some amazing stunts. So bearing in mind, this is like in the 20s. Uh, when a guy called John Ringling saw them perform in Cuba, he quickly hired them to perform at, at the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. So this is this huge circus and performance um, act. In 1928, they debuted at Madison Square Garden. Here's what I really like. So... Up until this point, so they're doing a lot of high wire, so basically like tightrope walking mm. and tightrope acrobatic. I, I shouldn't have picked the story because I can't really say tightrope. <laughs> you said it, it's fine. You said it. Tightrope. So they're these high wire performance artists. And when they first performed at Madison Square Garden, they performed without a safety net. Bad idea. Cool. Bad idea. But here's the kicker it wasn't for show. It was because they'd lost it. <laughs> like, oh, my God. 
Just fuck just it. We'll be fine. We'll pop it. It's fine. We'll, we'll just do it. No, no biggie. Anyway, they were fine and they performed. Confidence. Well. But that built up their fame and it was like, oh my God, mm. these guys perform without a tightrope. This, without a safety net, sorry. This is like That became really their TM. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-mm. So in the following years, uh, Carl Wallender developed some of their most impressive acts and the key act that we are talking about today is the seven-person chair pyramid, which is on a high wire. No. Oh. It's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> horrible. Is like, fucking horrible. Don't bother. They um, performed this. This was one of their specialities. They're all related. They're all like husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, cousins and whatnot. So they've built up this reputation as this incredible acrobatic performing family when tragedy struck. Aww. Yeah. So, January the 30th, 1962, while performing at the Shrine Circus at De- Detroit's State Fair Coliseum. Seems to be loads more state fairs in the past, which yeah. is what we talk about a lot. Like People were going out to state fairs a lot. Did people not have... They, had quite they didn't have Netflix, though, did they? Yeah, no, true. exactly. They didn't have Netflix. Anyway, so they are doing their seven-person chair pyramid. Sounds safe. Great. And... Basically, the 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 set. I'll I'll put a picture on Instagram because it's very difficult to explain like the formation. But basically, the front man who is Dieter Ship at the front of the pyramid, he faltered, which made the entire pyramid collapse. Fuck. Mm-mm. So all seven of them fell. I mean, how do we know how high the tightrope was? Thirty-five feet. Fuck. So all seven of them fell thirty-five feet to the ground. If you're on all fours as well, it's not ideal. No. So, and this was in front of 7,000 spectators. Oh. Yeah. Real, 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 real bad. So, instantly, uh, Richard Forgan, a guy called Richard Forgan, who is Wallender's son-in-law, and Dieter Shep, who was the... um, the front man who had initially faulted, they both died instantly. Another one of them injured his pelvis and Mario... So Carl injured his pelvis um, and adopted son Mario was paralysed from the waist down. Oh, God. All in front of 7,000 people. Fuck. Um, Dieter's sister, Jana Shep, let go of the wire to fall into the quickly raised safety net. It's like, fucking hell. Quickly raised. Like, just have one there if you're going to have... You know, yeah, it's come on, um, She fell into the quickly raised safety net but bounced off. And suffered a head injury. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this was like this super, super famous family delivering their, you know, their standout stunt. It went horribly, horribly, horribly. Oh, God. Um, so that was, quite a, that was quite a thing to happen. The Willenders are still going. What? What? The Willenders are still performing today. There are several branches still performing today, comprising mostly grandchildren of Carl Willender. They still perform regularly and have achieved recognition in the Guinness Book of Records. Mm. Our old friend, the Guinness Book of Records. Love it. Shut up. I still haven't completed um, my Guinness World Record of cycling <laughs> in the cycling. gym. Um, so Nick Willender successfully crossed between two Chicago skyscrapers, the West Tower of Ma- Marina City and the Leo Burnett Building. After accomplishing this feat, he successfully crossed the two towers of Marina City while wearing a blindfold. Oh, my God. Hell. So anyway, they're still killing it. But um, in a world of being a family known for your acrobatics and your daredevil stunts, that wasn't the only 
uh, tragedy that befell them. Other tragedies include when Willenda's sister-in-law, Rietta, fell to her death in 63, only the next year. Fucking hell. Uh, Willenda's son-in-law, Richard Guzman, was killed in 1972. Again, like sort of nine years later, they weren't... Yeah, it feels like lessons weren't really being learnt. <laughs> no. Um, but this one, um, Richard Chico Guzman touched a live electric wire while holding part of the metal rigging. So this is random. This wasn't the same as falling to his death. Um, But Carl Willenda decided, kept going on, he repeated the pyramid act in 63 and 77, even after the deaths. Um, He continued performing with a smaller group and doing solo acts. So basically nothing stopped them... On March, so now in 1978, during a promotional walk in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Carl Willenda, the originator, fell from the wire and died. Oh my god! Yeah, the original, the, the grandpapa. Live by the sword, die um, by the sword, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, 100 feet. Oh god, yeah. fucking hell. Yeah, fucking mental. He was 73. Oh no. Yeah. In 2011, Nick Willenda completed the same walk that Carla died on. Oh god. Um, with his mother, Delilah. That's the flying Willenders. That's mad because you would just you would just think that even though that was their livelihood and their life and everything, they would just put more things in place to just don't yeah, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. Worry about the repercussions of their falls, mm. etc. But mm. maybe yeah, like I said, live by the sword, die by the sword. Maybe that's what. Well, I think this is coming kind of to circle back round to the whole like circus folk and carnival folk. It's like such a specific and separate way no, of living. No, it really it. is. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of... Interesting though, yeah. Flying Willenders. Yeah. I liked the name. I like it. Good. Very good. Well done. Top lads. So this is the part of the show where we move on to Girl Crushes. As we've mentioned before, but just for any new listeners, we like to end on a bit of a positive note, a bit of a less bummery note that's probably not very good English a bummery note <laughs> less of a bummer um, to focus on women in general but women that are inspiring us kind of um, that look really good that are making us happy this week that we've um, been excited by any, any woman that we think is cool right now is the definition of girl crush of the week so Els goes first who is your girl crush mine's Food related again. <laughs> nice. Fine. I got a cookbook for my birthday, which, as we've established earlier on, is in January, so a little <laughs> while ago. But I, I just realised that I use it on a weekly basis, and ah. it is Anna Jones's cookbook. Oh, nice, yeah. She's really good. And I've made a lot from her book, and I don't have an oven, so when I get an oven, I'm really going <laughs> to... You're going to fucking smash it. Yeah, absolutely smash it. Um, and she does it, like, seasonally, so... Um, I really love Anna Jones. Really yeah, like her. really, like, easy recipes, all vegetarian, really delicious. Like, I've not... Mm, I made one thing that I didn't like, but not because it was bad, because it was mostly banana, mm. so I should have You're known, because I hate banana, nice. but I made it because people were around for dinner and uh so it was my stepdad and his partner and his partner was gluten-free so I wanted to make sure it was something that she could have um but in doing that it turned out was <laughs> I hated nothing but, but bananas wall-to-wall bananas yeah, yeah I think I maybe was thinking because I think this must have been after you I had your 
banoffee pie. Oh, yeah. So I think maybe I was thinking, oh, if it's just like a hint of banana, I won't really yeah, mind won't it. it. But it was actually like very banana-y. But that's besides the point. Everything else <laughs> is delicious. And I just thought I used that on, like, I've since getting that for my birthday, I've used it very frequently. And she's a very good cook. Yeah, I really like her. Very um, normal. I like her a lot. So my girl crush of the week is Sarah Kendall. So... We, as a collective, the podcast people that you're listening to right now, have gone to see her live, which was her Australian, well, I say Australian trilogy, but it's like her Australian trilogy too. We saw it live. It was really good. It was really sad. It was, it made me cry a little bit. It was very funny. I really enjoyed it. And I've just started listening to, because she's releasing it as a series with the BBC, which my boyfriend works for, as her Australian trilogy part two. And we listened to the first two, which are very different to what we listen to live because obviously it's put together as a, as a series. So it's kind of things that are relevant to each other. So mm. rather than it being a formulaic hour-long show, it's kind of 20-minute shows cut up. But when I was listening to it in the car, it really reminded me, which I know that neither of you have listened to, Her Australian Trilogy Part 1, um, which was before Nanette with, uh, with uh. Hannah Gadsby, which was one of the most powerful pieces of like radio comedy that I've ever listened to and it's very much kind of like she's very matter of fact she's very normal she grew up in Australia it's very much like focusing on her, the minutiae of her life but this story about a school trip to like a waterfall it's like a pool area literally took my breath away oh. and it really makes me like the the fact that we listened to it on the weekend we were just driving um, it was like a 20 minute drive and we listened to her and her delivery is very much similar to Hannah Gadsby but obviously very different subject matters yeah she's just got a, she's got a brilliant prose a brilliant delivery and I really 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 recommend people finding her original Australian trilogy because the first episode is mad it's fucking mad like, where, where can you find it then um, we'll, we'll put links up I guess yeah yeah. Like I, I'm not sure if it's a podcast yet but um, she had it definitely on her website and you could download it from the BBC so I'll try and link it but it's really really good and like have you watched Hannah Gadsby yet either yeah, of you yeah I've watched it now yeah, so you understand the kind of build up and the kind yeah. of fucking yeah, <laughs> ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so there's there's that's what happens with Sarah Kendall on a probably a smaller scale. It's obviously not necessarily as a as a big kind of conclusion, but it was brilliant. I remember listening to it whilst driving and it kind of blew me away. So you need to listen to it. But oh yeah, I'll try and link it. But Sarah Kendall in general, I really like the way that she delivers. She's like forty years old, she's got a family. It's like it's definitely minutiae of current life, but I think it's really good and I really like her delivery. So, yeah, get get involved. She's good. She's she very is good. good. Mm, yeah, she yeah. She's very good. Nice. There you go. Um, so mine this week is Athena Kuglenu. <clears throat> um, she is a comedian. I follow her on Twitter and I've loved her on Twitter for a very, very, very long time. And quickly looking now, I can see that she is followed by James Acaster and Josie Long. Um, just as a kickoff, so she's obviously of that ilk. She's really I, I enjoy following her because a she's fucking hilarious, but b she kind of curates a lot of Africa centric news. She recently was commenting on a piece about kind of poverty tourism, mm. and obviously what I like I work in international development. It's something mm. that we like we're a good organisation for it, but like it's really interesting when it suddenly becomes. So there's like an Al Jazeera piece on um, this particular like um, informal settlement in Nairobi, where it's literally like where we work, 
And she was kind of bringing to light or, or kind of signposting the views of like the residents within these informal settlements. And you have literally, you know, you have people touring the, the they're like cities, basically mm. touring the cities um, and kind of all of the myriad rank implications of like Westerners touring informal yeah. settlements and stuff. Like I said, she's kind of... I followed her anyway because I was interested in what she was saying. And then she also happens to be this kind of like channel for really interesting um, news that wouldn't necessarily filter onto the BBC front page. So I was really loving her for that. And she's fucking hilarious. And I'm going to Edinburgh, so I'm going to try and see her. So Nice. <laughs> yeah. This has been a long episode, lads. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, good luck, Squares. Sorry, future Sarah. Yeah. 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 Sorry, future Sarah. So we will see you next week for episode, episode 19. 19. We're getting we're edging closer to celebrity special number 2 at episode 20 yeah. after which we're going to have a little breaky blues. Yes. Um yeah. but we've had a bit of feedback on um people interested in our own individual near miss stories because obviously none of us are dead. Um our near miss stories <laughs> and people are keen so we're going to try and work that in as well as we've got a couple of potential guests that we also want to work in so we'll update you soon with the details on that but yeah episode 19 as usual and then episode 20 will be a celebrity special again so look forward to that as always edge of your seats as always <laughs> oh so we'll see you then bye see you in episode 19 bye 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 bye, bye. 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 bye.